This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Jack O'Keefe. She is a spiritual teacher with a unique style. Uh, her teachings cultivate wisdom, honesty, and integrity. And she is the founder or co-founder of the Association for Spiritual Integrity, ASI. We're going to be talking about that today, I think, at an organization that needed to be founded. So very <laughs> exciting to talk to her about that. And um, uh, so we want to thank you for, so very much for taking the time to come on our show today and a lot of different areas we can cover. So Phil, why don't you kick it off? And Jack, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for the invitation. Jack, um, why don't we begin as we customarily do by asking you to fill in our listeners with your own spiritual story. Give us the highlights and how you came to the teaching that you now do. Mm. Yeah, I know, so, briefly. Yeah. And we, look, we, have, we have the whole show to get into it. So maybe in two or three minutes, you could give us just a little uh, feel for, for where you're coming from, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty detail of it. Sure. Okay, so um, Reardon, Ireland, in a Catholic environment, but Catholicism in Ireland is much looser than it is in other countries. Um, so it's more, you know, church is a social endeavor and, you know, you, you go through the sacraments and all of that. But basically, when I was 14, 15, 16, and I gave out to my parents around, this is BBS, what the priest is talking about. He clearly hasn't a clue. Somehow it was like, well, Okay, I mean, if you're going to be giving out absolutely every Sunday after Mass, well, don't go. And so that was a bit of a release because I was so interested in God. I was interested in, in Jesus, in angels, in anything that I could find that was that was deeper than the crazy world that I found myself born into. It didn't make any sense at all. And somehow I wanted to keep alive something that I knew. It's like there was a wisdom there, and I think everybody's born with it. And so how could I keep this wisdom alive? So I went off and studied theology. And in Ireland, theology is Catholicism. But I didn't know it was. So uh, after, I suppose, three months, I decided the only way I can stay on and finish this degree, because my parents are paying for it, is by just getting wasted. So I spent a lot of years stoned. It made me an atheist. And so it brought me into a bit of addiction um, and pushing, pushing boundaries, being a rebel. And from there, I got very involved in a career around social justice and the arts. And I totally wanted to reform the education system in Ireland and full of ideas and full of dreams until one day when I was 30, I saw dead people and I thought I was tripping on acid because that's what it was like. But it was a Sunday afternoon and I hadn't taken anything. I was with some friends. And I'm like, okay, somebody has slipped me something here, guys. I'm looking at dead people hanging from the roof. And that's the source of that was not drug induced at all. And so what had happened was my third eye opened suddenly and that changed my life completely. Within a year, I was working as a ghostbuster from an atheist, an atheist at the age of 29 and at the age of 30, a ghostbuster. 
And I had all the while been involved in personal development, went into therapy at 19, stayed there consistently every week because I knew the wisdom within had been overlaid by the conditioning that I had received in my rearing. And so my path continued. I got involved in shamanism. I moved on to Reiki. I became a medium. And doing some like ayahuasca, plant medicine trips in jungles in, in Bolivia and in Peru, I came across that there is nothing. Actually, there is nothing. And this isn't real at all. Um, and I had no place at all to place that language. No place to, to speak about it. I didn't know what non-duality was. I didn't know about pointing to the truth. I didn't have the language. I was for years thinking, I know this is a movie. And every, anybody I say this to is looking at me as if I'm crazy. So I have to just be quiet until I found myself by accident, so it seems, in India. And I attended my first satsang and all the pieces came together. All the pieces came together. I got the language for it. And of course, I had some tidying up to do. You know, I hadn't seen the nature of desire. I knew I wasn't Jack. I knew my mind had created my persona, but that I had a responsibility to take care of her um, and to honor and align the, the true nature with my persona. And so I spent four years plus in India, um, a lot of time in silence and my mind completely stopped for two years. No thoughts, no fantasies, nothing. Only the present moment. No nighttime dreams, nothing. Blank. I didn't even know I wasn't having a thought because that was a thought. Um, and something significant happened there. It's like not all of me came back together again. Um, I had started teaching at that point um, and it evolved from there and I'm still teaching and that's like a dozen years ago, I guess. That's that's the synopsized version. <laughs> it's a great story, and it's going to lead to a, obviously leading to a lot of questions. My first question is: Oftentimes, when uh, I've encountered people who have had uh, an awakening or uh, um, a, a deep experience that's inexplicable to them, they seek out a teacher or teachers. Sometimes they have good luck. Sometimes they have bad luck in regard to that. When you first had your uh, awakening or experience, as you described it, of seeing dead people uh, and probably the other experiences along with that, did, did you seek a teacher out? Did you seek literature out? Was there somebody that specifically that you confided to? Was there anybody that gave you any advice or direction that was useful? Not really is the short answer. Um, I had no clue where to go or what to do. A week after the first incident, and, and it continued. I mean, I was being tapped on the shoulder in bed at night. I was having conversations with dead people. I, I, I was like, okay, this person talking to me, is this a real person or not? And I put my hand through them. Okay, this is a spook. What's going on? It was bizarre. Like if I had any experience of psychiatric world, I think I probably would have gone to, the, to a psychiatrist. And I'm so happy I didn't because there are people who are diagnosed with psychosis who've had similar experiences to me. So a week after it started, my sister um, uh, was chatting to me and I was like, I think I'm going bonkers. Like, I know I'm not nuts, but my world is turned upside down and I, I think I have to leave atheism. At least I have to question this thing because it's too big for me to ignore and suppress and explain away. 
And she told me about healers, about energy work. And she told me about Reiki. And I was like, what the heck are all of these things? My world was going very quickly in another direction. So I started by studying Reiki. I'm like, all I can do is, is just attend courses. Um, I wasn't really, it's like, you know, while, while I went to somebody to learn about it, I wanted to learn the nitty gritty and go behind the scene. So the scenes, so as well as going on somebody's table for energy work, I was at the same time studying something. To, to master it myself. Because if somebody is healing me, I want to know what are they in touch with? And sometimes I can see, or at the time I could see angels and guides behind them. And I'm like, do you know who's working with you? And sure, I would end up giving more information to the healer than what I was receiving. So it became obvious to start studying these things myself. So uh, as regards getting a proper spiritual teacher, no, I didn't know what that was at all. I do remember finding one book by Paramahansa Yogananda, a small little flyer and reading it and thinking, I know this is significant, but I haven't a clue what this guy's talking about. What <laughs> the heck is self-realization? What the heck is that? I have no clue, but I know it's important. And I, there were too many steps between that language and where I was at. So I dropped the idea of looking for a teacher. They dropped it completely and I meditated and I chanted and I went within and I continued with my therapy. And in hindsight, now I can see the wisdom of why my journey went in that direction. And Jack, eventually mm -hmm. you got to India. Now, I have uh, strong connections to India and I'm very curious uh, where you spent those four years and whether there were uh, teachers involved in in uh, your time in india and because you said you then developed the language and the uh the understanding of your your prior experiences yeah yeah um i went to india because i was with a guy i'd left my marriage because i knew okay that's over i have to go to god alone i can't be attached to this man and tried to learn about detachment that won't work and so I was solo for a while. I met this guy who wants to do a yoga teacher training course in India. I'll go with you, says I. So off I went to this yoga teacher training. On the third day, I was, this is the most ridiculous thing. I have no interest at all in teaching yoga, learning yoga. No, not my gig at all. I sit down under a tree and meditate forever without ever learning how to sit in lotus position. And so when I quit that course after three days, I took a rickshaw to the local town. Okay, where's the nearest town? And the nearest town was Tiruvannamalai. Yeah. yeah, it was Arunachala and Ramana Maharshi's ashram. And I just, oh, this is this is where I need to be. Oh, this is this is this is home. This is home. I got to stay here. This is what's going to teach me. And of course, in Tiruvannamalai, there there's you know a spiritual supermarket also if that's what you want to do. And so I, I did attend every teacher who was there and they were you know during the season which is december january at the time there were maybe six eight teachers so i would go in and listen to this one and go in and listen to that one and get the language mm. but really it was ramana maharshi's books really mm. the who am i and then the the western language like carl rentz was was hugely important for me at the time um and the others i would attend but really i thought carl there's something about his irreverence that i admire and the others seem to have some gurudom thing going on 
And I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I can't uh, uh, do that. Now, uh, Jack, I wanted to ask you, uh, the, the association you founded, one of the founders along with you is Rick Archer, who's a good friend of mine for many, many years, as, as he is a good friend of, of Phil's. We know yeah. him 40 plus years. We don't want to get into how long. <laughs> And uh, I, 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 I'm not surprised that uh, Phil, I mean, that uh, Rick got into uh, setting up an organization of this type. And, and I'm going to assume that, you know, uh, along the spiritual paths that everybody takes, they find uh, spiritual teachers and organizations that have integrity and some that have mm -hmm. not full integrity and some that have no integrity at all. And there's never been any sort of uh, place to go where one could evaluate that. And I'm uh, assuming from what I read that that's what your association is involved in. Uh, tell me how that's come about and also what criteria you use to evaluate uh, whatever you're evaluating in the spiritual world. Yeah, you know, it's not so much about evaluation because that really would put us in a, in a, in a position of hierarchy or, or some other, you know, um, credibility level that should deem some some authority and and that's the antithesis of what we're doing but what, let me just yeah. let me just interrupt for a second and by evaluation or criteria i meant not so much that you're evaluating how effective their teaching is but if they're approaching it honestly and uh, and presenting it honestly yeah we don't even do that mm -hmm. it's more that that we we are a group of um people who are in positions of spiritual leadership, no matter the tradition. And what we do is we're, if we're learning from each other how to model something different. It's like we're part of a wave of where spirituality wants to go through learning, through education, through informing ourselves, through being more honest about ourselves and our own journey as human beings while our spiritual realizations deepen at the same time. So, so we're not interested, I suppose, in putting our best spiritual selves forward. We have agreed a code of ethics of like, okay, let's, let's abide by this. Basically kind of like do no harm, take care of your own needs and don't project them onto your students. That's, if I was really to boil it down to two points, that's what it would be. Sort out your own crap so that you're not projecting it onto students and do no harm and teach in the most kind and loving way that you can. Now, to do those two things, we've got to be in a position of self-reflection about who we are as individuals and human beings all the time. And so how, what does that look like? What shape does it take? Because so many of people that I work with in my own private practice are in the position of spiritual leadership. Invariably, here's the sentence, Dennis and Phil, here's the sentence. It's like, there's nobody I can talk to. That's how every spiritual leader begins their conversation with me. There's nobody I can talk to. Now, why is that? Why is that? That there's nobody that they can talk to? Why can't we be more open and honest? Why, why have we gone into this insular, um, albeit slightly dishonest mode? That, that says it's not safe or it's not okay for us to be fully human and, and to share our vulnerability in a way that leaves us 
more accountable, more responsible, and more honest in everything we do. And let that honesty penetrate the teachings that, that we offer. And really, this shift has come because the protective mechanisms of ashrams and monasteries and vows, these vows are, are breaking down. These structures are breaking down. So how do we model being integrated in a regular human life without these protective mechanisms? And part of that protective shell that helps people to hide is still in our culture. And that's what we're um, working towards dissolving. Well, I want to make it obsolete that people need to hide, that people have no one to, that they can talk to openly, that they feel nobody can hold them. Let's, let's model something different so that we can learn how to be more transparent. So that you know, so that we can change the face and go into this post-guru model of spirituality. Jack, um, uh, in, uh, for our listeners, uh, full disclosure, I've been working with you and uh, your colleagues at ASI um, uh, because of something I care about. And, um, yeah. and one of the reasons I care about it is because... Uh, in studying the history of contemporary spirituality and writing about it, there have been so many ethical problems that arose. Um, That's right. And, That's and, right. And, and, and as you said, um, so many teachers are functioning uh, independently without a uh, organizational structure to hold them accountable or a tradition of, or a lineage, uh, and hence the need for some guidelines or ethical uh, principles and so forth. What yes. have, did you run personally, did you run into any uh, issues with uh, violations of ethics uh, that led you to have the, this kind of passion for the, for, for, uh, for the subject? Hmm. It's more that my path had so much personal development of me going to psychotherapists to sort out my own conditioning that led me to be able to see what was off. I had I had the edge there, you know. I saw what I could smell what was off with um, with spiritual teachers. Maybe it even started with the Catholic priest when I was fifteen. You know, of, there's something inauthentic here. What is that? And then me looking within to see, am I capable of doing something like that, of being out of sync? Be, do I walk the talk? And because that, that, that's been a core value for myself, I spotted a mile away. And I think it's inexcusable. So there's either somebody wants to get off on it and they enjoy abusing their power, or they're simply ignorance. They literally don't know. Now, there, there are two groups. And so the ASI is really supporting the people who don't know and want to do better. Because there is a willingness to change and a willingness to grow among most spiritual leaders. There is. And that group is, is pulling, pulling itself together through the ASI. From there, the new model will come. Teachers who are behaving badly, a lot of their students, their disciples are coming to us saying, can you do something about this? What we can do is, you know, give resources to students, empower students saying, hey, 
nobody takes away your own personal responsibility. If it smells off to you, it probably is off and follow your own inner wisdom. And so empowering students and in my own private practice, whatever students I can work with, it doesn't give me any um, authority to go and say to a teacher, hey, you're behaving badly. That, that I don't think that's going to work. Any of them that have been approached um, because they do behave badly, invariably have used spiritual concepts to justify their bad behavior. Jack, mm -hmm. let me ask you, if, if somebody were to come to you tomorrow, either contact you direct in Florida where you are or, or, or send you an email and said, look, I'm looking for a deeper, richer spiritual life. Uh, where do I start? Is there a teacher? Is there somewhere to go? Or if somebody who says, I, I, I'm having these spiritual experiences like you did, uh, maybe not not as profound, but uh, and they want a deeper understanding. Uh, is there anybody you, you can recommend that I speak to uh, that they're actually looking for guidance? They're looking perhaps for a teacher. Uh, what, what do you say to those folks? Mm. Spend weeks on YouTube. <laughs> That's a good. That's, no, that, a good that's what, not what, an answer you could have given 20 years ago. What, what, do, what do I search for on YouTube? What am I looking at? That's yeah, it. so see what resonates, what makes sense. And then step number two is see if that person abides by a code of ethics. It's a great and answer. Find out yeah. what the code of ethics is. Yeah. And because if because teacher, I, I love that answer, actually, because sometimes if you go to a teacher, if they are, say, off the, you know, not good, and, but they often can be very charismatic and very manipulative, and it would be much more difficult for them to be to, to, to be manipulative if you're watching them on YouTube, especially if you're watching several of them yeah. uh, in, in a short period of time than if you go to somebody and all of a sudden you're totally overwhelmed and they're, they're following, their followers get involved in yeah. manipulating you and, yeah. and all that. I said it's a very yeah. interesting approach. Oh, yeah, before you ever physically go to somebody, what code of ethics do they subscribe to? I would email somebody and say, well, well, where's your code of ethics? And if they don't have one, well, the ASI has one. Try that out. Because it's they don't like leave, there's a online dating. You get to see yeah. somebody <laughs> on the computer before you yeah. meet the person. But, but uh, it makes a lot of sense. A great answer. Yeah, because, I mean, what happens with online dating? Their best self is, forward, is, is put forward. Their best spiritual self, their best sexy self you know, is put forward. And then you discover, well, they're 10 years older, actually, and they're five inches shorter, and they're actually broken. You know, and it's like, okay, so so these vetting systems have to be in place before you put yourself, you know, your the, the core of your being for guidance in front of another person. Oh, my goodness me. I, I would be very careful nowadays. <laughs> Jack, I want to go back to um, your your description of your uh, spiritual uh, history and your experiences. Um, I, I at one point you said you were in India and uh, there was a long period of time you said where you had no thought. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm imagining people hearing that and saying, "What the hell does that mean?" Um, because did she lose her mind? Was she asleep? Was she uh, in some kind of um, hypnotic trance? When Explain a little bit more what you mean by that. And I'm curious, during that phase, you say you had no thoughts. Did you have memories? Did you yeah. did you visualize something if you said, well, I have to go to this store? 
um, and then I, I will turn left on this street or I need to go get toothpaste. Did any describe yeah. the, the sort of mundane everyday functions that thinking yeah. Uh, provides? Yeah, yeah, good question. What triggered it was what I now know is my self-referencing network, which is a neural network in our brain. It switched off or burned out. Um, I, I felt something crackle in my brain and break. And I thought, okay, okay, whatever's happening right now, I'm either going to end up in a psychiatric hospital in India or it's actually something that needs to happen for my spiritual growth. Can I say yes to both? Yes, I can say yes to both. What happened then was I found myself in the morning with my passport beside the bed. My arm would come out, lift up the passport. I would see my face. I would read my name, Jacqueline O'Keefe, walk towards the mirror, look at the photograph and look at my face. And this would happen automatically. This would happen. And after seven or eight glances, I would go, oh, okay. And something would click together. Oh, okay. That, that, that woman and the person I'm looking at, okay, so that's my name. Okay, it's signed Jack O'Keefe. Okay, there we go, born 67. Okay. And I would have that much information. When my body was hungry, I would go and eat. Sometimes, I remember actually, ages, you know, afterwards, I often bought a newspaper, but I never read one. I never read it. So some functioning made no sense at all. Um, I do remember that I also forgot some language. I remember now, I didn't remember at the time. So at the time, I would hear somebody speaking in the supermarket um, and I would look and I would get just enough to figure out what was going on. And I found myself walking into a bookstore, buying an English dictionary and looking up words that they had said because I lost some vocabulary. Looking up words they'd said, it's like I was reestablishing um, functioning, the functioning part of my brain. And there's no fear. There's, you know, my survival mechanism wasn't running. Something else was taking over. I was very present. My brain didn't twig everything that was going on. I certainly wasn't looking at situations that were outside of what I immediately needed to address or be aware of in order for basic primitive functioning to happen. Nothing extra came into my vista, nothing. It's like my brain could only process what was right in front of me, and then that's all that was happening, what was right in front of me. So functioning happened. I mean, I, I, I must have bought food and eaten food, and I know I spent a lot of time walking around Ramana Maharshi's Samadhi Shrine, just walking in a circle like, like you would a, a stupa, I suppose, if it was a Buddhist tradition. Spent a lot of time alone. And when I would meet somebody and have a conversation, conversation would happen. But I don't know. I know one guy. I, I don't know, you know, the nuances of how well I was functioning. I know one guy a few years later said, I was concerned. I was looking out for you. Um, I didn't know him at all. Like, but he was just looking at this woman thinking, what is she going through? He said, your face was so tight, so tight. And he said, it's like you were so far inside. You looked different. He said, but I, I knew it was okay, but still I wasn't sure you could take care of yourself. So things like that happened. I suppose the, the lead up to it, the self-referencing network burning out was what brought me to a place of 
functioning only the minimum of functioning is minimum required for functioning is all that happened and from there reintegrating in life i remember oh my god a nighttime dream happened and it was only colors and eventually dialogue and now of course i have regular dreams about all kinds of stuff you know things regrew neural networks regrew in my brain I had no memories, no stories, but I had a routine of phoning Ireland every other week. And that routine continued. I believe it did. I believe it did. You yeah, know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, uh, the, uh, it says it's July 8th, uh, 2020, we're in yeah. the middle of this pandemic. Uh, and, but I, I know the uh, Association for Spiritual Integrity. Do you have any events that are coming up and how can people uh, contact the association uh, or find out more about it or if you have people that subscribe or belong to it uh, tell us a little bit about that yeah the website is spiritual-integrity.org we have an event a live webinar every six weeks every other one of those so every three months we have an outside presenter talking to us about something specific i know there's one coming up later this year on trauma and how it impacts us as spiritual leaders and how what we need to do to manage it in us and and in order to recognize when it's in our students because in a student who has trauma in their system we, we can very easily re-traumatize, for example. So uh, a meeting we had last week was discussing humility, exploring the virtue of humility and what it means for us. Not in a lecture way, but in a sharing our own experiences as spiritual leaders. So every six weeks, this, those events are, are on throughout the year and they're advertised on the spiritualintegrity.org website. If somebody is in a position of spiritual leaders, leader, please become a member. What's involved is reading the Code of Ethics and abiding to work in, an, in a do no harm and continually self-reflect on your own humanness. They're the two big tenets of which everything underneath, uh, as, you know, contributes to all the facets of what we must take care of. And so if somebody agrees to abide by this Code of Ethics, they become a member. And a member can join a closed Facebook group and members will receive mail outs. And they also, they also are on a list where students can look to see, oh my gosh, there's a list of spiritual teachers who are evolving as human beings, who are not hiding behind their robe, but are willing to look at themselves. So I could give them feedback so I can approach them as people and they're mm -hmm. not going to dismiss me. Oh, that's your ego. This is for you to look at. They will say, huh, I hadn't thought of that. I got to think about that. Maybe there's something in what you're saying. Maybe it's not good enough what I said to you. Maybe I did offend. I, I'll check that out. And so, so for us to learn how to be accountable and to receive feedback from students and, you know, it's basic in so many different training models around the world. But do we do we ask for feedback? Very, very few of us ask for feedback from students. So students don't have the power. You know, we've taken it from them. And, and so through the ASI, we're encouraging students to, hey, expect a level of accountability from, from a teacher. But know that every teacher who's worth their melt, their salt, has screwed up a gazillion times. Because they're not going to be a good teacher unless they have a mess 
a checkered history behind them. So don't expect them to be God incarnate. I mean, that means I smell a rat. I smell BS. <laughs> Somebody doesn't have a checkered record. But how did they deal with where they screwed up? How did they deal with their lessons? How did they dust themselves off, make amends and move forward? And what do they do differently? That's where you'll find a teacher who, who has some integrity. Very good. And I will uh, add that I am a member of ASI and I would uh, encourage people to check it out. Jack, one thing we haven't spoken about is your work with students. You have individual students, I understand, and you also uh, have groups, or at least you did before um, <laughs> the pandemic. Um, yeah. tell, tell us the focus of your work and uh, how you came to uh, start actually having students and what you, what you, how you see your own role as a teacher and what you bring to your students. Mm. It's constantly evolving. People who would have worked with me five or six years ago, and then they come back and they say, the teachings have changed. I hear that a lot from people who disappear and come back. The teachings have changed. How you teach changes. And I would like to retire when I'm spouting the same message forever. I want to retire because where's my own growth? Where's my own growth? Where's my own deepening? It has to come through. I want to walk my talk. And so when I'm learning something new about myself or where spirituality needs to go, I want to be looking at what, you know, what, where is it going? Can I preempt what people, what discussion needs to happen so that we can be proactive um, and in some way take responsibility before the shit hits the fan, you know? So I think, you know, I talk a lot these days about poverty, chastity and obedience and how, how these vows have led to abuse of power, how, how it's led to this crazy, dirty idea that money is, or that idea that money is dirty. It's like bullshit, like, <laughs> you know, it's bullshit. Um, and the whole idea of sex and the role of sex and the role of desire on the spiritual path. Let's talk about these things. And so I talk about what's coming up in order to um, herald the future of spirituality. And so that's another thing that keeps it continually evolving. I do a private practice. I see people for a half an hour and an hour. I do that two days a week. I spend a day a week on ASI associated material. It might be working with a student or it might be, you know, doing some research to find out who would be another speaker for us that would, would help all of us. Um, and then I suppose trying to push my own edge, you know, shifting from talking at conferences and running residential and weekend retreats in Europe and in the US and in Canada, trying to shift it now online. That's our new challenge. And personally, I am thrilled because I've often wondered how can I take less flights? <laughs> how, how can I do that? Where does the work go? And and being faced with a brick wall, no answers to that question of what can I do here? Because when I ask a question, I, I kind of listen for an inner movement. It must come from where does my beingness want to show up? How does it want to express? What needs to happen here? And I take full responsibility for how it expresses because that's my human um responsible uh, conduit that, that, that makes it show up here in this movie. 
So I'm responsible for all of it, you know? And so, yeah, I'm thrilled that, yeah, my first online retreat is in the middle of August, great, great. over, over the weekend. And I want to thank you for your time, Jack. And also I would let you know that we'll have all of this posted up, how uh, people can get information on uh, the Association for Spiritual Integrity, how they can connect with you. And uh, I'm hoping sometime this year, later this year, you can come back on the show and we can we can talk some more. I think uh, fascinating what you're doing. Great work. Give our best to Rick. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> He's close well, to all our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys. Okay, Jack. Um, stay safe during the pandemic, and we'll look for you online. And thanks again for for taking the time to be with thanks us. Thanks so much, and thanks to your listeners for making this possible. Thank Great. you. And listeners, we want to add one thing. Um, Dennis and I have been doing this for probably four years now. We have getting close to 300 interviews archived. And we need your support in order to keep this operation going and to upgrade. So from this moment on, <laughs> you will find on our website, spiritmatterstalk.com, a way to uh, click on something and make a contribution. And so we are humbly soliciting your support for in whatever uh to whatever degree you can help us out right and and i should mention we're not a nonprofit, so it's it's not a donation but uh you're contributing to something we think is good and valuable and phil and i made a decision we want to keep it going we want to keep it free so, right uh, so if you can uh, if you can make a contribution if you can't support us on a monthly basis once a year once in a lifetime <laughs> uh, anything you want to do, it'll help because there is expense and it's uh, enormously time consuming. We love we love it. And we're very proud of the work we've done. And uh, we've uh, gotten to meet and interview some of the most amazing people in the world of contemporary spirituality. And we love sharing it with you. And yeah, but uh, we, do, we do need your help. So anybody that can help, please do so and know that we are committed to keeping it free and available to everyone. Very good. Yes, Sign until next time. Signing off. All right. <laughs>